0: All right, if you have your Bibles, Luke 17 is where we're going to land. Uh, let me just do a couple quick things as we're flipping this morning. Uh, obviously, this is a different room. We're on to our summer schedule, um, and you know we're 60 70% college students. So um, just to save all of us a bunch of time and energy and effort, we don't do the big gym setup like we typically do. We're in here. Um, another thing that we do, again, just because the summer schedule and all little thing's different. Um, I, this will be the last Sunday for me for the next four weeks that I'll be preaching, um, which is awesome. Um, gets me, lets me, I'm going on vacation. Um, let me have some, uh, some of the younger guys, some opportunity to speak. Next week, we're going to be ordaining Kyle. Um, and so he'll be teaching which is a big deal Um, and so yeah so you won't see me I'll still be here most weeks but um, we'll be giving some other guys some chances to preach which will be good. Um, This will be the last week we're in Luke 17 Um, we'll pick Luke 18 back up in the summer or no September Um, but until then um, Ricky will kick off a series with us in two weeks called the celebration of discipline which sounds fun doesn't it? Kind of oxymoron, celebration of discipline. But um, Luke 17 is where we're going to be. I love kind of the smaller feel because uh, we just get to have more fun um, and, and interact more. And Yes. Sound good? No. <laughs> that, that's, yep, that's what I like. So um, as we start off, let me just throw out a question. Has there been anything in your life that you've just become numb to? that you kind of forget that it exists, that you don't really pay much attention to it, but once you're awoken to the fact that it still exists, it just excites you to death. Anything like that? It just becomes numb. It's kind of background noise. I mean, uh, I, I promise you I'm not high as I'm saying this, but like, have you all ever thought about the spoon? Like how great the spoon is? <laughs> I told it sounds like I waked and baked, doesn't it? Uh, kids, your parents can explain that later. Uh but seriously, like a fork, we could do without a fork. You, you can make it work. You could kind of get a rock and make a knife. But, man, we take the spoon for granted, don't we? The spoon is, how would you eat soup without a spoon? No, we're not animals. What are you talking about? No, you have to like publicly, no. You see, this is, this is just time out. This is what I'm talking about here. We have taken for granted the poor spoon. And Caleb is, yeah. Uh, but anyways, so as we're talking about this, and I promise there's a point here, um, scripturally we're going to see a phrase this morning that is used all over the New Testament, um, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, but I think it's that old couch that no one wants to throw out, it's the spoon that we've forgotten about. I mean, at some level, like, it's Mother's Day, and we have to stop and celebrate mothers for a day because most of the time we take them for granted, a- amen, right? Like, we just kind of forget all that they do for us, they're always around, they're always supporting, they're always encouraging, um, and it just becomes background noise some level. If if moms just disappeared, uh, this world would be awful. The one thing, one of the few things we all have in common this morning is what? You were birthed. That's what happened. You have a mother. Uh, Again, kids, you can ask your parents about that later. So um, as we talk about this, this phrase, the kingdom of God, we'll pick it up in Luke 17, verse 20. Uh, but this whole morning, it's, it's kind of a uh, word study. If you're familiar with different ways of teaching and sermons, this is basically a word study. What is the kingdom of God and how have we taken it for granted? So Luke 17, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 20. Luke 17, verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some spread around. Um, take, well, take that. We want you to own a Bible so you can keep it. That was said really weird. Luke 17. Pick it up, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Kingdom of God, here again. He answered, the, the kingdom of God, underline it, is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples, so that was a generic answer to the Pharisees. Now he's speaking especially to the disciples. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with the goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray. Father, as we start to understand and look into what the kingdom of God means and what it represents and and all the implications that it has for us, uh, Father, would, would this not be a word or a phrase that just becomes numb to us, its background to us? Father, would we put all our hope in this kingdom? Father, because we we can't serve two. So, Jesus, as we study, as we try to pluck out what you're uh, trying to tell the disciples, what you're telling the Pharisees, and and what you're telling us, um, God, we have a new, fresh version of the kingdom of God this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, first, let me start off with this. Caleb, ice cream. Ice cream. No. Let's start off here. Um, the kingdom, of, so I'm going to throw this definition up real quick. Actually, McKinsey is because McKinsey's awesome. Uh, here, when we talk kingdom of God, here's what we mean. Uh, the kingdom of God already present but not yet fully realized is the exercise of God's sovereignty in the world towards the eventual redemption of all creation. All right? Pretty dense. I'm going to read it one more time, and we're going to spend the rest of the morning trying to wrap our heads around this. The kingdom of God already present but not fully realized is the exercise of God's sovereignty in the world toward the eventual redemption of all creation. Uh, another way we can say it, John Piper puts it this way, the kingdom has come is almost synonymous with Jesus is Lord. So the word kingdom is used 126 times in the New Testament. Uh, We don't, uh, obviously, we don't have a kingdom. We don't have a king. We live in a democracy. So it's kind of hard for our minds to wrap around. What does a kingdom mean? What does this really mean for us as far as Christians and God's kingdom? And uh, we see kingdom of heaven uh, thrown out too. those are not different. They're the same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. What does this mean for us? And and I love to go back to the definition real quick. Uh, because it opens up this idea already present but not fully realized. Uh, we have to understand this with the kingdom. As Jesus is teaching the kingdom, and even as we're living right now, theologians would call this thing the already but not yet. And we talk a lot about it around Christmas time. Um, uh, who, who was nine when they were baptized? Just curious. Anyone? Nope, so I was nine when I got baptized, and I fully remember the day I got baptized, about 30 minutes later, I almost got a spanking because I was running around the courtyard, and I wasn't supposed to be running around in the church courtyard. And what, like in that moment, I still vividly remember that because I thought I've been baptized, like life is supposed to be great, right? Like I'm not supposed to sin anymore, things are supposed to be perfect. I think we all feel that tension that, that God has given us peace, yet we long for more peace. That we know God has given us salvation, but there's moments we long for more salvation. Right. We all understand this tension that, that we are a new creation, but a lot of times we don't feel like we're a new creation. That we know that we have the promises of heaven, but but sometimes just the curses of earth just hold us down. So there's this idea that we are already saved, we're already going to heaven, we're already Christ's new creation. But we're not yet there yet. We're kind of living in this awkward season of already, but not yet. So what we see God establishing here through Christ is this kingdom of God that's there. It's already here. I mean, we see John the Baptist saying the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Jesus is here. God's establishing his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his exercising over all sovereignty. It's here, but it's not fully done yet. Does that make sense? I mean, an applicable Mother's Day example, when does the mom become a mom? When she becomes pregnant, but is she a fully mom yet? No, not until delivery. So um, the already but not yet is where we catch ourselves in this tension. So we have to understand as we're explaining, as we're teaching through the kingdom of God, that it's not done yet. It's not fully uh, here. It's the already but not yet. So so let's kind of understand some of There's about five things that we're going to see Jesus expi- explicitly mention about the kingdom of God. Of God. The first one, pick it up in verse 20, is that the Pharisees can't see it. I mean, it's just obvious here, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, it's not here it is or therefore, but the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is right in front of you. Now, we just have to stop here because this is a category that most of us are probably unaware of, right? That how could the Pharisees be talking to Jesus in the flesh, the kingdom of God in front of them, and they miss it? I mean, we just have to stop here to understand that the Jewish people lived in excitement, that they kind of had some hopes in Jesus. Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and they thought, uh, Jesus knew, his disciples knew, he was going to Jerusalem for what? His death. He was going to be a martyr for us. He was going to lay down his life so that we could be made new. But they thought, maybe Jesus is going to Jerusalem to literally build a kingdom here, to literally overthrow Rome, overthrow the government. He's going to establish a new kingdom here, and he's going to be the king. That's what they were hoping for. So they are hoping for Jesus to walk in and ride in on a white horse, and everyone celebrate him and bow down. And so when Jesus—I mean, we just have all these weird velvet pictures and paintings of Jesus— Jesus was a homeless bro that was probably hungry, right? I mean, he did not look like all that we expected him to. And so the Pharisees looked at this guy and said, you're you're teaching some incredible things, but you don't look like a king. So we're not going to praise you. We're not going to worship you as a king because you don't look like a king. Think about this in in relationships. Um, Singles, anyone single, not yet married? Okay. Just Caleb, let me use you for an example. Um, Yes. Uh <laughs> maybe I should have picked someone else. So so say you meet this girl, right? And you're so obsessed about this lady and you're so excited about her uh, that all you do constantly is talk about your wedding day. Your wedding day. I can't wait till we get married. I can't wait till. So every date you go on, every time you're with her, you never talk about her in the moment, how she's feeling, how's her work, how's her career, uh, how's her family, anything like that. You only talk about your wedding day. How quickly do you think you'd be single again? Two weeks, okay. Okay, so we can see this in the Pharisees' language that, that they're not worried about getting to know Jesus. They're not concerned about understanding how he is the son of God. All they're worried about is when the kingdom is overthrown and the Jews get to build up their kingdom again. They're worried about their wedding day, what's coming, and they're so focused in the future that they're missing Jesus standing right in front of us. And so the crazy thing, it sounds crazy when you read it, but, but I think we're all guilty of this, right? We're all so focused on the future and things outside of us that, if we're honest, we miss God in front of us almost daily. We miss the miracles, we miss what he's after, we, we co- uh, say it's coincidence or we throw it up to, oh no, that was just a good doctor, that was just a happenstance. We, we make all of these excuses, we're focused so much on the future that we miss, just like the Pharisees, we miss the kingdom right in front of us. I think one of the major ways we do is we give credit away when credit is actually deserved to God we see this earlier in Luke eleven twenty, uh, but if the finger of God that I, ca- this is Jesus talking, but it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the Pharisees were calling Jesus the devil. You're literally Beelzebul. The way that you're casting out demons is because you are one. You are Satan. That's what they're accusing Jesus of. So we see these good gifts that God is doing, and we are constantly giving credit where credit is not due just the pride that comes with us where does the credit typically go to ourselves well i studied hard enough well i worked my tail off for this well i did this and this and this so whose kingdom is it really it's ours it quickly turns from the kingdom that the lord is building to i'm building my own kingdom and we miss it it is possible based on what we see from the pharisees it's possible to miss our hand in front of our face it's possible to miss the kingdom kingdom completely But then he turns in verse 22 and addresses the disciples, and to them he encourages them, listen, there's no way that you can miss the kingdom. The first, he says, is this, um, do not believe it when people tell you they know when the kingdom is coming. You see that in verse 22 and 23. Don't believe it. And if we were to flip over to Galatians, to Corinthians, to um, Hebrews, we see this theme all throughout where these guys are coming in and say, no, no, I know when God is coming. I know the future. Come listen to me. Now, what does that sound like? Is that God building his kingdom or is that man using his pride to build his own kingdom? Has anyone ever heard about Waco? David Koresh, right? I mean, uh, it was a huge, there was a documentary on Waco a couple weeks ago, and uh, it was about a couple months ago now, and I just got obsessed, like just fascinated with the fact. And there's a lot more uh, to Waco than just David Koresh. I mean, there's a whole government thing of possible overreach. It's just fascinating. But. Uh, the, thing, the most fascinating thing to me with David Koresh is people were flying from all over the world because Koresh started saying, I am the Messiah. The, the seven seals in Revelation, I am the one that can interpret him. The Lamb of God is me. It's not Christ, it's me. I am the Lamb. I can interpret this for you. So when we start seeing men and women building their own kingdom on earth, Jesus is saying, flee from that. Get away from that. As quickly as possible. Um, There's a book that I actually tried to buy this week uh, just to have, because I think it'd be funny to have, but they don't make them anymore. Uh, It was 88 Reasons, Christ is Coming Back in 1988. Uh, He didn't, um, and it's on Amazon, but it's out of stock. So if you want to bless your pastor, buy me that book. I would just love to frame that book. Um, Just because, um, So when we see Jesus is imploring us, verse 22 and 23, if someone says, look there, look here, I know when Christ is coming. I know when his kingdom is going to be fulfilled because we're in the already, but not yet. And I can tell you when it's going to be fulfilled. He's saying, run from that. Verse 24 talks about, as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another, so will the, man, the Son of Man be in his day. Now here's where, if I could just be honest, this whole kingdom of God idea could be a sermon series for like 12 weeks because there's so much that goes into this, with eschatology and dispensationalism and, and all of these things built into the kingdom of God and God's return. And, and I know there's some guys in this room that have studied way more on this, the premillennial, millennial post-millennial, what does all this really look like? So I'm just trying to give a very surface level of what this he's talking about. But the end of it is this. Already, but not yet, Christ is returning, right? He's coming back, and there's going to be no mistake when it happens. It's going to be so obvious that it's going to be like lightning that fills the entire sky. So God is establishing his kingdom right now through Christ on the cross, through us, through believers, establishing the kingdom of God on this planet. But there will be a day when his kingdom is complete, and no one is going to be able to miss it. Now, this is where, again, we could get in the weeds if we want to. What has to take place before Christ comes back? What has to take place before his kingdom is fulfilled? Well, Revelation would say some things, and throughout the the other scriptures it would say some things, but, but verse 25 outlines the one thing that must take place before his kingdom can be fulfilled is this, but he first must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So the one thing that must take place for the kingdom of God to be fulfilled is Christ's death on the cross. Now you can see at some level, we can kind of look back hindsight 2020, those Pharisees, they're so dumb. But when you think about if Jesus is really building this kingdom and He's saying, The way for me to build this kingdom is for me to die, uh, bro, how are you gonna do both? The way for me to build this house for my family is for me to die. Mmm, you can't swing a hammer when you're dead, right? So this whole idea, I mean, we can, I can empathize with the Pharisees at some level because they expect Jesus to build this kingdom. They expect him to come back and to rule and to reign, but they have no concept for how he's going to do it. The one thing that must take place for God's kingdom to be fulfilled, this is death. Now, we'll pick it up in verse 26. Uh, here's another thing about the kingdom of God. When it is fulfilled, that the world won't expect it. Now, typically when I'm teaching, I'm going to try to argue from different texts and and try to paint a picture for you, but Luke does it so perfectly. I just want to read this for us real fast. Uh, Is anyone hot? Just curious. I mean, I know I'm preaching up fire up here, but I'm about to take my shirt off. Um, Can you see if we can bump that down? I will, never mind. Verse 26. I use a filter, you're welcome. Uh, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. There will be eating and drinking and marrying and be given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Now, here's the scary part of it. Um, buying, selling, building, planting, marrying, giving and marrying, eating and drinking. Any of those bad things? No, this is life. That culture is taking place at some level with the building and planting. That, that culture is flourishing. That things are going well. And people are just going to be so naive to the fact that this thing is going to burn at one point, that when God comes back through Christ, when God's kingdom is fulfilled, there's going to be a huge group of people that just aren't going to see it. They're not going to see it coming. Uh, my, my kids do this. I think, some of, I, th- I think at some level, this is just a coping mechanism, um, that we, we don't want to see what we know is obvious, Right? Uh, my, my kids, when I'm playing with them, they'll just cover their face, and for that moment, everyone just disappears. Uh, we're all still standing there, right? But in that moment, that gives them peace. It's a coping mechanism. to If I can't see you, you're not going to bother me. Not that I bother my kids, but um, that's just how they focus. That's how they get away from it. And I think a lot of ways we do this, too. Um, Whether it be our career, whether it be our finances, whether it be um, whatever it is, we just act like the problem isn't there. I mean, how many people, just to be honest with me, your car has made some crazy noise and you just assume, I'm going to keep driving and it's just going to stop. Anyone? How did that work out for you? Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it did. Uh, And so in a lot of ways, I think just the human race, we're doing this, guys. I mean, ultimately, we know whether you're the hard-hardest atheist of all time or you're the most Bible-thumping believer, we know that this thing isn't just going to keep going forever. We know that everything has a start and an end. But I think it's just a coping mechanism for us to say, but it's not going to end that way. That the kingdom isn't just going to come back, that that Christ isn't just going to come back that way okay, well, let's, let's at least dialogue because I have scripture here to say that he is. And I have scripture here to prove us from uh, Abraham, I mean, from Noah and from Lot, that there's gonna come a day where you're just gonna think everything's fine and then it's not gonna be. The kingdom of God is gonna be fulfilled. And what's gonna happen in those moments? Because again, and, and here's where I'm trying to stay 30,000 feet and not get into the weeds. Uh, there's this huge theological debate. Are things gonna get better or are things gonna get worse right when, before Christ comes back? Is the world gradually getting better? Is the world gradually getting worse? It doesn't at some level that doesn't really matter. What matters is is Christ coming back? Is Christ gonna fulfill his kingdom? Is he gonna fulfill his kingdom here on earth? And what's gonna happen to us when that takes place? I love the example that he uses though with Noah. I mean, have you has anyone ever seen Evan Almighty? If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a it's just a good movie but it really puts some flesh and bones onto how crazy Noah had to be, right? I mean, building this ark when there's been no rain, but but the symbolism there to me just almost humbles me and cracks me up because I think in a lot of ways in some of our hearts in some of our lives, God is building this boat in front of us, that that we see it's inevitable, that we understand that life is short, that life is futile, that that we can't be all that we want to be, that there's a massive boat being erected somewhere in our lives. We just have to face the fact, what, what is that boat there for? I mean, you've got to imagine Noah's neighbors just running around making fun of him. But, but at some level, some of them had to go, well, man, he's pretty confident about this thing. Like, they're, they're really working hard on this boat. Is he crazy or am I? And I think something in some of our lives is just going on. We're going, man, is that crazy or am I? Like, we can't both be right. Is there a huge boat being built in your life where it just speaks volumes to you and you're just choosing not to see it? Another thing that we'll see when we talk about God building his kingdom is verse 31 through 33. Only the self-denying will find it. on that day, Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come back down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife who turned back and turned to a pillar of salt. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. Now, Jesus uses this phrase a lot throughout the Gospels. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life will keep it. Whoever humbles himself, he will be exalted. So we have to understand, as the same way that the Pharisees were confused, if you're going to go to Jerusalem and die, how then are you going to build your kingdom? The way for us to expand God's kingdom on earth is not us putting ourselves on a platform that we don't deserve, but it's us dying to ourselves constantly. I mean, uh, just imagine this. Um, We say, say me, because I'm bearded and crazy and that's fine. Uh, I'm going to build a club, right? And here's where the club meets. We meet at the dump on the outside of town. Then here's how you get into the club. Anyone can bring you into the club, but the moment you bring someone in, you don't go higher like a typical pyramid scheme. You go lower, so, every time you bring someone in, you're going lower and you're going lower and you're going lower. But we meet at the dump. We don't have any kind of special handshake. There's no dues, there's nothing glorious about it. We sit around and rummage through trash. And every time we bring someone in, your rank goes lower and lower and lower. Who's going to sign up for that club? Welcome to the kingdom of God. There's no, there's no glamorous about it. Everything that Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, hate your mother, hate your father, hate all of those around you. And he doesn't literally mean hate, but that your love for Christ should seem like hate to the world around you. If you love anything more than me, you cannot be my disciple. If you put any needs, any possessions, anything ahead of following me, you're not part of the kingdom. God's kingdom is exclusive to those that will lay down their life constantly. It's not about us getting anything out of this. It's about us gaining Christ. That is the beauty of the gospel. Luke 6, 22 through 23 explains this perfectly. Blessed are you when when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, and behold, for your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did this to the prophets." But I mean, does that sound like us? Blessed are you when people hate you. Anyone want to sign up for that club? Some of you do that naturally, just saying, Just kidding. to make sure you're with me. When they exclude you and revile you, blessed are you when this stuff takes place. Now here's where, if I could just be honest, the biggest clash of all time comes between Christians in the South, Christians in America americanized christianity in the bible because for a lot of us bible believing going to church is almost more aristocratic than biblical that if you're going to be a christian make sure you belong to the right church if you have this much money you need to go to this church it's more of a status level than anything else especially in the deep south so what we wrestle with, with God building his kingdom, is we're not talking about social class, social order, aristocraticness. We're talking about laying out our lives constantly for the sake of the gospel. That is what it means to get into the kingdom of God. And here's probably the most terrifying thing of all. Verse 34. I tell you, in that night when God's kingdom is fulfilled, there will be two in bed. One will be taken and the other left. There'll be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Grinding wheat, just so you know. Verse 37. And and they say to him, where, Lord? And he says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. There's two ways about the kingdom. And there's nothing in between. I think as Christians in America, we just want to kind of justify and rationalize. And again, maybe we're just, we don't want to see the truth that God's laying out, but there's two truths. You're either part of the kingdom or you're not. When Christ comes, when his kingdom is fulfilled, you're either part of the kingdom or you're not. There's no middle ground. And listen, I empathize with Paul. When Paul was preaching, when Paul was teaching, he would say, I wish this wasn't so, but this is the truth. And I could feel a twinge of that. I, I wish there was another way sometimes. I wish we could say, no, Like the idea of universalist, that eventually everyone's going to get into heaven, I love that idea. How great of a message would that preach, except it's contrary to every verse and every sentence in the Bible. It's just not there. You don't see that truth anywhere, that eventually we're all just going to get to go to heaven. So do what you want here. Uh, yeah, you might have to suffer for a little bit, but eventually everyone's in heaven, and everyone's happy and merry, and it's great. I, w- I wish that would be true. Our church would probably be a lot bigger if that was true. There would be more donations going in the offering, and I might even have a jet. That would be great. And I would have spoons on my jet. <laughs> Caleb. right No, but i I mean i wish that was true but but what the most haunting thing coming out of this is listen there's there's two people in bed one will be taken and the other left one will be taken and the other left and disciples are hearing this and going oh my gosh god what does this mean jesus tell me where is the other one going we understand one's going to be with you in glory where's the other one going where the corpse is there the vultures will gather death eternal death is where the others will gather and, and I get it. I mean, I'm, I've, I've been preaching a long time, not really a long time, but as far as like ministry, I've been doing this for a long time, and I hear the reputations to all that preachers preach about is hell and money. That's all you guys ever talk about, hell and money, hell and money, money and hell, hell and money. Yeah, I get it. But here's the other side of it, and not just preachers, us. How much must we hate our family, hate our friends, hate our neighbors if we know this is a real consequence and we don't talk about it? I mean, how much would we loathe those around us if we understand that God's kingdom is for the believers and the opposite of God's kingdom is eternity in hell? There's no middle ground, and we say nothing. Um, Y'all know Penn and Teller? Y'all ever seen those magicians, Penn and Teller? All right, so um, Penn or Teller, I can't remember which, which one doesn't talk. Okay, Penn then, the one that talks a lot. Um, Hard atheist, very atheistic in his thinking. And so he tells this story one time. You can watch it on YouTube. It's fantastic. This guy comes up after, brings him a Bible, trying to talk about the gospel with him. And so he's just very like, hey man, that's good for you. But like, I don't want to hear any of that. That's not for me. Uh, But he goes on to tell the story that that how much he he knew that this guy was, he was using the word proselytizing, um, trying to evangelize, trying to tell him about Jesus because he genuinely loved him. So this atheist comes to the conclusion that how much would they hate us if they don't tell us the message of the gospel? Whether we believe it or not, whether we think it's hogwash or not, that he knew, Penn knew knew in that moment that this guy loved him because he was awkward, he was weird, he was strange. But after the show, he waited on him to tell him, man, listen, you, you need to know this truth of the gospel. So Penn rejected it completely, but goes on, I mean, it's probably about a 15-minute clip, but goes on to talk about how much respect he had for him, how much he admired this guy, that if he really believed the Bible, he really believed this is true, he was actually acting it out and worried about Penn's soul. That is the beautiful thing about the gospel. Penn, to my knowledge, not a Christian, but had a respect for this guy because he at least tried so if we see this conclusion about the kingdom of God, that those who miss it will perish, there, there's no middle ground. How much more we hate our neighbors if we don't say anything, if we don't do anything? Now here's, uh, as we start to land the plane, here's kind of where my mind has been all week. Matthew 6.10 puts it plainly. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And most of us probably memorized that prayer growing up, the Lord's Prayer, and, and said it at sporting events. And I know my drumline used to say it, which like, looking back, makes no sense at all. Um, Let us play these flams really well for your glory. Like, okay. Um, but he, does anyone know what a flame is? Just curious. Okay. Two people. You know what a flam is, but you still respect spoons. Okay. Here's where I, I just kind of want to be honest with you. And and, and just been gauging my heart and trying to figure out where I am on this. Uh, But if I can just be honest, uh, I've been bored with the kingdom this week. I mean, there's been some sermons that I've written that I've studied in Scripture. I just cannot wait to get to Sunday to preach because I'm so excited about it. But when I talked about in the beginning that maybe we're just bored with the idea of kingdom, like uh, we just take things for granted like mothers or spoons or whatever it may be, we just, they become numb in the back of our mind because we hear it so often that we can't really fathom what life would be out without it. That It just becomes bored to us. It's just white noise in the background. And I f- the reason I open that way and I close this way is because I felt that tension this week preparing the sermon. That if we're praying that your kingdom would come here, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is a massive prayer that we should feel with our bones. That as we're praying, as we're talking about the kingdom of God, as we talk and hear about Jesus explaining what it means for God's kingdom to come, for Him establishing His rule and His reign, that it's already taking place, but it's not yet fulfilled. That there's not much more deep, depth in teaching than this. There's not much more depth in Jesus' gospel than this, that there will be a day where my kingdom will be fulfilled. And in this moment, I am building my kingdom. I am fulfilling my kingdom. This is the work of the Father to establish his kingdom on earth. And so just me kind of weighing out my heart, like, why am I bored in this? Because the last time I checked, this is it. There's nothing more, there's nothing less than God establishing his kingdom on earth. This is the kingdom. So when I pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, this, this is it. There's, there's nothing else. And so, granted, I, I know there's a lot going on in all of us, and I don't want to impose my thoughts and my beliefs on or my uh, questions and, and why I'm wrestling with this. But my question for you this morning is are you bored with God's kingdom? Are we going through God talking about through Christ, here's how I'm establishing my kingdom where there will be no more hurt, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more sorrow, no more agony. Does that excite us? Does that get us excited about the kingdom of God coming? Or is it like, hmm, I'll just eat ice cream cone instead. Hmm, I'll just drink soup instead. I don't really need a spoon. I don't really need God's kingdom I'm just going to keep walking like I've been doing. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to tell some people about Jesus every now and then. But, but I'm more concerned with my kingdom, not his. I think as we wrestle and chew through this idea, I think my heart is probably feeling what we're all feeling. Is that we're om- there's almost a little bit of sorrow and sadness that to build God's kingdom means our kingdom has to die. To ring in God's kingdom here on earth means that my kingdom is no more. So we sorrow, we will lament the fact that we're going to have to bury all of our accomplishments, all that we've done, all that we will do. we are to have to, to actually have a funeral for those, put them in the ground, and put those things to death and say none of that matters in the scope of God establishing his kingdom. If we're honest, that's, but look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. But for God to build his kingdom, our kingdom has to die. There's no king, two kingdoms here. It's God's kingdom or else. So this morning, where are you on the establishment of God's kingdom? It's it's coming. I mean, here's the, the reality of it. God is going to establish his kingdom. He already has, and it will be fulfilled. But I just want to, for me, how I've been wrestling, I just want to welcome you into the wrestling, to the pondering, to the thinking, to the praying. Does this fire us up? Are we excited about God's kingdom? I'll end it this way. I heard a pastor say one time, and I've used this before, if my time is up here on earth, then just take me home. I mean, here's the guy preaching in probably front of 10,000 people. If my time is here, God, take me right now. But if you're going to leave me here, I'm going to work my tail off for your kingdom. If you're going to leave me here, then I'm going to I'm going to assume that you've left me here because my work isn't finished with my wife with my kids, with my church so I'm going to work my tail off and I remember thinking after listening to that sermon I couldn't honestly say that I couldn't honestly boldly stand in front of a crowd or even just set my own heart and say God if you're done with me here I would rather be in your kingdom now than live here for another second that's what it means to be obsessed with the kingdom is that I'm ready to go whenever you are God I would rather be in that kingdom with you forever than be left here in this already but not yet season. That's what it means to be fully obsessed with the kingdom. And just all transparency, I wrestle with that. I I long to walk my daughters down the aisle. I long to, I mean, just the whole graduation last weekend for the UNG students. I want to see that. If my kids want to go to school, if they don't want to, I don't want to pay for it. So win-win for everybody. Vote Bernie, right? So um, I I want to see all these moments. I I want to live in this. I want to have grandkids. I was talking to my neighbor last night. He's got great kids. I, I would love to see that happen. And If I'm not careful, that starts to become my kingdom and God's kingdom starts to disappear. My future becomes more important to me than God's kingdom does it to me. And I think if we're all kind of in this together, that's probably the truth for most of us. That our kingdom must fall so that God's kingdom may rise. And that is a hard and difficult process for us to fathom. So as we take communion this morning, let us remember, I mean, this is the ultimate, the epitome of God's kingdom being developed is death, not life. It's humbling himself to the cross, not taking power and authority away from people. It's carrying his cross to the point of death. It's not riding in on a white horse. So for us to establish God's kingdom here, we need to follow the example of Christ and be willing to die for the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to pray and the communion will be open and we'll continue in, in worship as if we just meditate what God's kingdom means for us this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for modeling for us, for teaching us, for shepherding us in the way that we should go. And Father, my true confession is that I like my kingdom more than yours more often than not. That I like to build and to see expansion take place and to grow. I don't like to humble myself and to die to myself so that you may live. So Father, as I take communion, as we take communion this morning, let us remember what it really means to walk in the kingdom of God. What does it mean for you to establish your kingdom here? And Father, we, we praise you, we worship you because you have not done anything different than what you're asking us to do. You didn't walk in on a white horse and overthrow the kingdom and establish your kingdom and then you ask us to die to ourselves. No, Father, you led the way. You set the pace for us that as an innocent man, you picked up that cross. You carried it to Calvary, and you died. Knowing that was a death you didn't deserve, that you had done nothing for that, you still considered the kingdom of God more important than your own life. And so, Father, now you're pleading with us God, would we remove the hand in front of us? Would we not be like the Pharisees that can't see what you're doing? And Father, would we all be willing to die? Would we be willing to put your needs ahead of our own? Would we follow in your example? Would we be more obsessed with your kingdom than ours? so, God, let the motivation for that not be anything else other than you and your cross. And Father, you know where joy is found. And it's not in us establishing our kingdom and getting more and building more and owning more. Father, if it's being freed up from all of that to chase you and follow you wherever you go. So Father, we pray that you would build your kingdom here, in us and through us. And as we take communion this morning, let us remember what you're after. So Father, forgive us, forgive me for being more obsessed and more concerned with my own kingdom than yours. And we love you. Thank you for setting the pace. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for loving us when we don't deserve it. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So communion will be set up in the back.